All right, we're picking up in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that Paul and John the baptizer had a strong sense of who they were and of who Jesus was and that Jesus was greater. They knew that they came to testify about Jesus and not about themselves. So as we listen to your word this morning, help us to know ourselves better, including the fact that it isn't about us. Help us to understand that it's really about Jesus and that we have been placed in this place to proclaim him and his works for the salvation of sinners. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this week in your email, you should have gotten, well, you should have gotten an email um, from the calls, uh, a prayer letter. And, you know, when I get these, I try to remember to send them out to you since they're among the people that we support. And so you know what's going on in their lives. And you know, so you know the triumphs and the discouragements and the things that you are intended to pray for so that God can advance the ministry of the gospel in the places that they happen to serve. Well, there's a part of this letter to the Philippians that is a missionary support letter where Paul is letting them know what's going on and how they can pray. He's let them know, as we saw last week, of the things that he's praying for them that should be mirroring what they pray, about a growing in love and the fruitfulness of the Word and that they would bear the fruit of righteousness in their own lives. In this particular section of this letter, uh, Paul is focusing on the work and Paul, as he thinks about the work, has an overall optimistic perspective on it. But it also reveals some of the obstacles that exist within the work. And so I want us to think about those obstacles and how God has overcome those obstacles for the advance of the gospel. Our big idea this morning is that Jesus advances the gospel through our circumstances and sin. First off, I want us to recognize that Jesus advances the gospel through our confining circumstances. That's how I'm kind of expressing this. Um, what's important to note is that 
one of the, the, the drum beats that goes through this entire passage is my imprisonment, my imprisonment, my imprisonment. Paul repeatedly brings up this idea of his imprisonment or his bonds. Okay, It runs all through this portion that we're looking at today of the text. Paul, his focus is not on what has happened to me. Now that's interesting. Because sometimes we want to talk all about what has happened to us. I've had some lunches with other pastors, uh, phone calls with other pastors, and it's hard not to say what's happened. <laughs> to want to commiserate, to share the struggles that uh, you're currently experiencing. Um, Paul's not focused on that so much. But it, what has happened to him is no small thing. Let us think for a moment. Paul went to Jerusalem, got caught up in a riot because people were angry with him, and was nearly killed during that riot. As a result of that riot, he spent two years in jail in Caesarea, occasionally being trotted out like a trophy prisoner to uh, defend the faith. Finally, he appeals to Rome and is sent on a journey to Rome. And of course, this is way back then, and it's not like he hops on a plane. He's tossed on a ship, and what happens uh, sometimes on ships is that there are storms. And there was a massive storm, and Paul ends up getting shipwrecked and nearly dying. But Paul eventually arrives safe to house arrest in Rome. And so what happened to him, what has been happening to him, is no small thing. This is a drawn-out, lengthy thing that covers about the span of the, you know, the last three to five years of his life have been immensely um, difficult, and he has been in bonds. This is not like his overnight stay in the jail there in Philippi. This is uh, approaching five years of confinement, of confining circumstances that he experienced. How is it that the gospel can go forth, the gospel can advance, the gospel can prosper, when Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, happens to be in chains? And yet, what Paul says is that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel, which is quite counterintuitive. We would think that this would hinder the gospel. And yet Paul's perspective is completely different, and he sees that God has been at work through all of these difficulties, through these things that he wishes he probably could uh, not experience, to see that God has really been advancing the gospel through his circumstances. And so we see, in a sense, Paul is reflecting the the mindset that he taught to the Romans when he said, And you know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, of course, it doesn't mean that all things are good, but that God works them for good. And these were things that were very difficult and very hard. And yet Paul would say, God has worked them for good. And in this particular instance, that good is the advancement of the gospel. 
that it didn't dry up and die because Paul is in prison, but actually has gone forth and prospered in the midst of this. Our own confessional document, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 5, paragraph 3, notes that God in His ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at His pleasure. So what, he, what the Westminster Divines are getting at is that God is not bound by the means that He normally chooses to use. He can do far more than we normally expect with regard to those means. But God can also work against those means. He's working against the imprisonment of Paul for the advancement of the gospel far above Paul's own ability or capacity to proclaim the gospel because Paul's in prison. While Paul is bound, the gospel is not. As we see him saying in 2 Timothy 2. So God is not limited by our limitations. The gospel is not bound by our bonds, our bonds rather. That is important for us to remember. Paul clarifies this. It has become known through the praetorium. Now, word has has spread through, and this word praetorian can refer to a couple of different things. It can refer to the palace where the government sits, and uh, part of that is, is the guard that is there, or it can refer specifically to the praetorian guard themselves. And so we're not sure if the gospel has spread through the palace or the, the, the gospel has spread through the guards. But it's spread. It has become known. These guards are the elite. They're handpicked because of their prior service and their skills, and their abilities. And as a result, they received usually double pay, as well as special assignments. And so these are sort of the elite. And when I think of this, for some reason, maybe it's just because it's been Eli movie month and we watched The Last Jedi. Uh, but I think of, of Snoke's guards. They were sort of the elite in their red robes and their weapons to protect the leader. Because you don't want any old guy off the street protecting the leader, right? You want the best of the best to guard him. And so this is what the Praetorian guards were. They were sort of the best of the best among the Roman soldiers. And so they were there. And so Paul is in house arrest, and there would be a changing of the guard, and, and so different guards would come in, and, you know, Paul might talk to them. And they might talk to others. Yeah, that Paul guy. Let's talk about him. So we see that the gospel is not bound, it's not limited to the, to the space where Paul happens to exist in his house arrest. But he says that they have, it has become known amongst the guards and with, or the palace that my prison, imprisonment or my bonds are for or in 
Christ. In other words, the gospel wasn't in chains with Paul, but Paul was in chains for the gospel. It was because of his relationship with Jesus Christ, his function as an apostle and a messenger of Jesus Christ, that Paul happens to be in bonds. But the gospel itself was not in bonds. I read in World Magazine the other day about a woman by the name of Rachel Han. She's Chinese, lives in China, was a Christian, or is a Christian, and part of her ministry was to help uh, people who defected from North Korea to get to South Korea. And people who fled into China, and of course it's illegal to be in China if you're from North Korea, because, you know, they they care about their borders there in China. And uh, so the, the plan was you can't get directly to South Korea, and so she would help people get to places like Thailand and Mongolia in order that they could then connect with the South Korean government and, be, and then get into South Korea. So someone ratted her out. And she was arrested. And, of course, this would be considered human trafficking. It's an underground railroad bringing people to freedom, but it was viewed as human trafficking. And so she was incarcerated in a Chinese prison. And it is there that you would think that she would shut her mouth, but she was known for singing songs similar to Paul in the Philippian jail, but this was an extended period of time. She talked the doctor repeatedly into trying to smuggle a Bible in for her, and the first two times the guards found the Bible and didn't let it in. The third time they decided, maybe if we give her the Bible, she'll shut up. <laughs> and she didn't. Though she was in chains, the gospel was not in chains and spread throughout the prison, not just to the prisoners, but also to the guards. She did not see her confinement, her circumstances, as a, I no longer have to make Jesus known card. She was like Paul. Paul, who says that he was also appointed for the defense of the gospel. And part of what's interesting, and we're going to hit that again in a moment, but that idea of appointed as generally a military term. To be stationed or positioned by a, a superior. And so Paul has been appointed to this or, or positioned for this for, by, by Jesus himself for the defense of the gospel. The apologia, this idea of a, a verbal reasoned defense, it's what we get that word apologetics from. Paul is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ verbally, but bringing up the scriptures, showing people why it was necessary for God the Son to take on flesh and blood as a person. Why it was necessary for Jesus to obey the law perfectly on our behalf. Why it was necessary for this servant to suffer and die for the sins of his people. And so 
why it was necessary and why it's true that Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day to fulfill the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And so Paul would reason this out and explain this to these poor people next to him. (laughs) Guarding him. These poor officials that call him in to, to explain again why this Paul guy has been arrested for social unrest and he gets an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He, he did have a captive audience. He was, in a sense, because of this, this idea of military term, uh, he says in, also in 2 Timothy 2, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's what he says to Timothy. He could say that because Timothy knew that Paul lived that. Paul was one who suffered as a soldier of Christ in this prison, as well as the one in Philippi and possibly in another one uh, prison in Ephesus for a period of time. As I think about why he wrote this and why he told them this, I wonder that some of the Philippians may have felt bound up by their own circumstances. Whether it was their slavery, or whether it was the reality of of possible persecution that might take place, they may have felt bound by their circumstances and the gospel itself may have been bound from their perspective. That they shouldn't make Christ known because of these confining circumstances that they were experiencing. And some of us experience confining circumstances. For some, it's an illness that greatly limits your ability to get out and be about and talk to people and interact. Some moms feel a little trapped at home sometimes. Being a, being a stay-at-home mom can be a little confining at times. Sometimes it's where you live, because now you're in assisted living, and your world has shrunk. These things happen. We experience these things. Sometimes it's our responsibilities. Work wants us to to put in 60 hours and we feel like we have no time for gospel things. But I want you to know that just because you're confined by those things doesn't mean the gospel is confined. But that Jesus still finds a way for you to make Him known and to provide a reasoned defense despite your confinement, but sometimes even through your confinement. Because sometimes it's your confinement that puts you in touch with those people you wouldn't ordinarily meet, like the Praetorian Guard, like those Roman officials. So sometimes it's the very confining circumstances themselves that place us in a position where we have opportunities to make the gospel known to caregivers or those children that pester us with a thousand questions a day, (laughs) whatever it might be. And so we see that 
Jesus stationed Paul in that place for the gospel, that very same Jesus who also stations us where we are for the advancement of the gospel. Because when our circumstances are bound and we are weak, it is then that His strength is made perfect. I want you to think for a moment of Johnny Erickson Tata. We don't know what her life would be like apart from that accident that took away her mobility and put her in a wheelchair so that she can basically just move her head. But think about that for a moment. Without being in that wheelchair, she herself probably wouldn't have called upon Jesus. Okay, She wasn't a Christian at the time of the accident. She became a Christian after the accident. Think of the millions of people that have heard about Jesus and have trusted Jesus and have grown in their faith in Jesus precisely because this woman is in this wheelchair. Because she experiences an incredibly profound confinement. She can do almost nothing for herself but speak and eat. And yet, the advancement of the gospel through this woman is astounding. So let us not think that these limiting circumstances somehow limit God. Because they can't. And so Jesus puts us in confining circumstances to advance the gospel by His power. Secondly, Jesus advances the gospel by replacing fear with delight. You see, the the gospel wasn't limited to or by Paul's confinement, but it also wasn't limited to Paul. For we see that there are plenty of other people that God utilized in Rome for the advancement of the gospel. It wasn't just about Paul. He says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, Okay? Having become confident means they previously lacked confidence. They were, before this, not confident in the Lord. But the means that God used in order that they might become confident in the Lord was Paul's imprisonment. And so indirectly now, we see that there are Christians who are encouraged, who are emboldened to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because they see Paul suffering for Jesus. They previously had experienced the fear of man. And so they weren't bold. They kept their mouth shut. Because they knew that the government didn't like it, and then they see Paul. And they go, you know, is that the worst the government can do to me? I might as well preach this gospel about Jesus Christ. I I better speak the word of the Lord as it says, uh, as it attributes to them. Okay? 
The Philippians, perhaps, also had reason to fear men. They'd already seen Paul, uh, you know, beaten and thrown into to jail in their own community. And so many of them, perhaps, lacked this confidence due to the fear of man. And many of us can also struggle with this. We're not immune to this fear. We can experience it. But don't let the fear have the final word. Be emboldened by things like Paul's imprisonment. Now again, this is counterintuitive because Paul's imprisonment in many ways could be seen to increase their fear and shame since Paul was disgraced. And that's one of the the interesting things about Rome. If you go back and you read Mark's Gospel, which we believe was written for the church in Rome, what you will see is very little discourse. You don't find sermons of Jesus. What you find is, immediately Jesus did this. And then immediately Jesus did that. And then immediately Jesus did this. The focus for Rome was on power. And so Mark's Gospel reveals the power of Jesus. Jesus as a man of action. Not Jesus as... Someone who preached a whole lot and gave these lengthy discourses. Power and prestige were everything in Rome, and here is Paul in disgrace. They should have decided not to follow this Jesus who gets you put in prison, but instead they realized that Jesus is worth going to prison for. It gave them confidence. Or rather, God used it to impart confidence in them to trust Him. You see, Jesus was at work through Paul's example that Jesus is worth suffering for. This is not unique. When the Wheaton Five, you know, guys like Jim Elliott, Saint, they went down to Ecuador. They tried to reach out to the Okua Indians. Oka. Oka Indians. I always get that up. I move that U. My brain wants to move the U. It's A-U-C-A. And we're killed in a spearing attack. What happened? For decades, a heightened number of graduates from Wheaton went to the mission field. It didn't discourage missions, but actually encouraged missions. Because that's what God does. He emboldens people through the suffering of his saints. And so they were much more bold to speak the word without fear he connects this to the, the, the reality that they, they do this out of love, and love is probably not the, the best translation of that word, more has that idea of delighting in. Because they delighted in Christ, they were bold to speak the Word of God without fear. Because they were delighting in Jesus, they spoke about Jesus. And there is part is the secret. What are you delighting in? Are you finding satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Then you will find satisfaction and take delight in letting people know about 
the Savior and what He has done. We speak about what satisfies us. We speak about the things we delight in. I remember when I was first married, I loved to say those words, my wife. Because I'd spent so many years not saying those words. <laughs> I took great delight, and I still take great delight. Don't get this wrong. But I took great delight in being able to say, my wife. I talk about my Red Sox. It's easy to do that right now because they're in first place. Um, but it's not always that way. But we talk about the food that we enjoy, the books that we're reading that thrill us, the movies that we have seen uh, that captivate our imagination, all of these things. Does Jesus captivate us enough for us to speak about him? It's, he should, precisely because of what we see. He offers us that those things can't. He offers us, offers us in the gospel pardon for sin. He offers us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is in part to build intimacy with us, but also to empower us for ministry, to empower us for obedience. Not only that, but there are the other benefits of the gospel, like adoption, how we're now called His children and brought into the closest relationship with God. And he wants us to delight in those things. And then speak of those things. And so in a part we could say that we're called to know the Word. We're, we're, we're called to know others suffering for Christ so that will embolden us. And we also should be praying for courage and boldness. And so our unofficial plan at the Cavallaro household for the summer has been reading Proverbs so our children gain wisdom. But we're also reading from Jesus Freaks, which is a, uh, a book about martyrs, so that our children will see that many have found Jesus worth suffering for because he's that good. He's that great. He gives us that much. And so we are to look to Jesus to change our fear to delight in confidence that the gospel can advance through us. Thirdly, Jesus advances the gospel despite our mixed motives. There's this third party that Paul mentions here. He just says, some. Which leads you to go, some brothers? Or some other people? It's a little unclear. But because of what they're doing, I think that they're brothers. Because Paul's not complaining about the content of their gospel message. He says repeatedly that they are preaching Christ. They're proclaiming Christ. The problem is why they preach Him. At first he says they preach from envy and rivalry. And then he says they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. They preach Christ. Meaning that they are heralds. 
That's the idea of the word there. They, they represent an authority and they are meant to give the message of that authority, the king, to his people accurately. That's the idea of a herald. Hear ye, hear ye! Right? So everyone knows what the king has proclaimed and so, uh, you know, they, they can obey it and follow it. You know? Um, we need a, a hear ye, hear ye, the trash will be picked up on Monday last week. Uh, not everybody in the neighborhood knew that the trash man was actually coming. And so they're accurately heralding the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? They are proclaiming or making known the good news of Jesus. Their message is orthodox, but as I said, their motives are mixed. They're doing this out of rivalry and envy. In other words, they resent Paul's place or position as apostle. And they likely resent Paul's popularity. There were probably people, Christians, who said, Paul's in town. Because you've got to go to the, you know, someplace to see him. But Paul's in town. The apostle to the Gentiles. The former troubler of the church who came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's in town. And some felt resentment. Because haven't I been here preaching this message for 15 years? To just throw, take a number out of the air. And you're, you're, you're excited about the guy who's in prison? Who just showed up? So, there were some who unfortunately resented Paul's position and resented Paul's popularity. There's a warning in Galatians 5 that if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And these people were biting and consuming. They wanted to develop a following of their own. They, they may have, I think, wanted to make a name for themselves that exceeded the name of Paul. One of the things that Amy and I talked about briefly with regard to the show The Crown, it's one of the sub-themes that runs through this series so far that we've watched, is Elizabeth gets all the attention because she's the queen. And Margaret, her younger sister, so desperately wants attention. And so uh, she has these moments where she orchestrates these times when she'll get the spotlight that she so desperately craves. She's, she's seeing herself, in a sense, as a rival to her sister for the public eye. Okay? And it seems that every time she's got the right scheme, something goes wrong. Now, it's not Elizabeth trying to keep her sister down, which is what she, how she interprets it. Okay, but it's the protocol. It's the protocol of the kingdom. The crown must always win. If the queen is pregnant, you cannot announce your engagement. Sorry, that's just the way it was. And so there's a sense in which Jesus must always win, but these guys want a bit of the spotlight. And that's what we find. 
They're trying to steal the supposed spotlight that is on Paul so that they can have some themselves. And so they preach out of ambition to make a name for themselves, thinking to afflict me or Paul in my imprisonment. In other words, they're trying to make life for Paul more difficult. If I was Paul, I'd probably get the copy of the book that I own, Nourishing My Inner Martyr, Meditations for a Cynic, and say, oh, how true these things are. (laughs) Right? Paul in Colossians 1 notes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. We talked about this uh, way back in Colossians a few years ago. It wasn't that Paul's sufferings brought the salvation of his people, but Paul suffered in bringing the message of salvation to the people. It was not easy. And so this is another instance where Paul is suffering for the sake of others. He's suffering for the sake of Christ's body. And he would rejoice. But he feels the rub. Which is the, the, that idea there of affliction. The rub. The digging in deep. Deeper. These guys wanted Paul's chains to hurt more. They perhaps wanted a a guilty verdict as though he he's to blame for the proliferation of Christianity within Rome, which the officials saw as civil unrest and disorder. Paul would say in the end of this passage, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul was focused not so much on the mixed motives of these people. Paul was focused on Christ is proclaimed. I don't care why He's proclaimed, but that He's proclaimed, and I rejoice. And so there are churches who, from our estimation, don't do things the right way or the way we would do them. But you know what? They're still proclaiming Christ. As long as they're not proclaiming a false gospel, we should rejoice in the growth of any church in our community that proclaims Christ as the Savior. Too often we get nitpicky about how they do it. Or why they do it. And sometimes we just need to shut our mouths and go, I rejoice that Christ is preached. Paul gets back to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. So Paul recognizes in that letter that he wrote about the uh, the divisions in the Corinthian church, 
It ain't about me, folks, he says. It's about Jesus. That can be hard for pastors when they see some churches blossoming in their own struggling. It's a hard lesson to remember, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The he being Jesus and the I being I. Because of our pride, it is very difficult to not be important. It's difficult for the pride of a church to think that you're not popular. Why aren't there more people here? It's the providence of God. Now, as I think about the Philippians, I imagine that some of them perhaps were reluctant to evangelize until their motives were pure. Have you ever heard people say something like that? Not just about evangelism, but about you know any obedience. Well, you know, my motives aren't right yet. Like, like I'm going to put off obeying God until I get my motives sorted out. <laughs> How many of you would appreciate that of your children, Mom? I'm not going to take out the garbage until my motives are right. I want it to be out of a pure love for Jesus and you that I take that garbage out. Or pick up my room and make my bed or whatever it might be. God is not waiting for your motives to be perfect and right. Your motives do matter, but they are not ultimate. The command of God is ultimate. Not how you might think about it or think about your motives. And so there's a hard challenge here. I recognize it's a hard challenge that we are to proclaim Christ even as we we pray for purified motives for proclaiming Christ. Don't let your mixed motives become an unnecessary obstacle to obedience. Obey as well as pray that God would sort out your heart so that you would begin to obey for the right reasons. But until that time, you're still going to obey. So, Paul's good news about the advance of the gospel reveals that there are actually at least three obstacles that Christians can experience to proclaiming Jesus. Our confining circumstances make us think that our opportunities or the gospel itself are bound. The fear of man makes us silent in the face of people rather than making reasoned defenses of this gospel. Knowing that our motives can be mixed can paralyze some people. But Jesus works with, above, and against these various obstacles to advance His gospel to see His great name and His salvation proclaimed, to see His glory increased in a world that seeks its own glory. And that's really good news, I think. Let's pray. Father,
our greatest purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy your holy name. So we ask that you would fill our affections with a passion for your glory. That through Jesus, you would give us power to glorify you in our lives, in our homes and families, in our church, in our city, and in our world. Grant us power to glorify you by the way that we love, by the way that we think, by the way that we live. Help us to live in view of the coming of Jesus, our righteousness, our Lord and King whom we proclaim. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.